Hey, I just want to give a big thank you for your gracious and affirming response to my message on identity and sexuality last week. And it was interesting to see uh, both in-person and online attendance spark for that message. Uh, controversial topics tend to do that. But you guys were so gracious, as were some of my social media friends who listened to the message. We do live in one complicated world. Today we're in the fourth of a five-part series of messages called Arrows, Living Towards the Target, with a, a focus on parenting. And my message from the last two weeks will lead right into my message today, Moving Towards Stable Mental Health. So let me just uh, leap right in there. Schools are now hiring mental health professionals. As I wrote this message, I saw a listing for this type of worker for the Fort McMurray Public School Division. Mental health and anxiety issues among children and youth are the highest that we're aware of in history. According to the Canadian Mental Health Association, one in five children and youth is currently struggle, struggling with a mental health challenge. And 70% uh, of adult mental health challenges began in childhood or youth. Uh, young people ages 15 to 24 are more likely to experience mental illness and or substance use disorders than any other age group. It is a volatile time. And get this, 17% of children two to five years of age, that's two to five years of age, meet diagnostic criteria for mental health problems. Youth and children's suicide rates are at alarming levels. The stats vary, but they're incredibly devastating. I mean, every life lost to suicide is such a tragedy. In 2015, among 15 to 19 year olds in Canada, 140 males in that year took their lives and a much lower 63 females. However, twice as many girls attempt suicide as boys. The guys are simply more successful at suicide because they use more lethal means. And then suicide rates multiply significantly when youth move into their 20s, especially if they are a guy. We thought that suicide stats were stabilizing, but that was until the majority of people, including youth in our culture, owned smartphones. And uh, that's dated at around 2011, when the majority of uh, people in North America, including youth, became cell phone owners. Now, these are going to be American stats, but Canada will parallel this. 46% more 15 to 19 year olds committed suicide in 2015 than in 2007. That same time period, two and a half times more 12 to 14 year olds killed themselves. I mean, these are heart wrenching numbers uh, and they happen to kind of coincide with the rise uh, of uh, smartphones. Friends, there are things that we can do as parents and as a church community to push back on this wave of depression and mental illness. It's all part of Jesus inviting us to live a flourishing life. First, let me remind us of a couple of scriptures that we've been anchoring this series on. King Solomon, who the Bible describes as the wisest man who ever lived, said, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of a womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. And we've been talking about what it means to be a warrior parent who carefully sends our children, our arrows, to the right target. And we've been talking about what the right target looks like, and we've been talking about what the bullseye is that we're aiming for. 
And over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about our bullseye being raising kids who so trust God that they have no fear. I mean, no fear about joining with God in making this world a better place. Kids who live and love like Jesus. And when we understand what our bullseye is, then we can follow these words also of Solomon. Train up a child in the way they should go, the bullseye. And even when they're old, they will not turn from it. They will be on-fire, mission-focused followers of Jesus who live in love like him. While there are no guarantees, hey, every, human, every child is a human being with a free will, but as warrior parents, we want to create an environment that encourages our kids to grow into adults who know Jesus deeply and personally, and again, whose lives are just on fire for being a part of the mission of Jesus in the world. Again, kids who live and love like Jesus. But there's so much in our culture and in this world that push against that. And as the stats that I gave you just indicated, there are incredible mental health pressures that are working to get us off target and maybe more now than in history. And what I want to do today is just list some ways that uh, we as parents and then as a church community can push back and create a healthy environment for our kids that creates mentally strong individuals who grow to serve Jesus with strength. I'm going to repeat a couple of things that I've said in the last few weeks in order to drive some points home, and I'll add a few more, and then we'll wrap up with communion. Number one, I'm just going to hit it from the beginning. Parents must monitor and limit a child's access to cell phones, iPads, and similar devices while training your children how to uh, healthily engage with the good these devices provide. I'm not going to prescribe how you do it. I'm just going to say you got to figure it out. you got to do it. I mean, if you do not carefully monitor and limit your child's access to these devices, this is simply negligent, irresponsible, destructive parenting. Am I saying that strong enough? Anyways, let me bring a biblical perspective and then some stats. The Apostle Paul says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Friends, when we put where we put our focus and where our kids put their focus is either going to be life-giving or life-destroying. We must help our kids to focus on things that are life-giving, that inspire gratitude, joy, and peace, not on things that evoke worry, anxiety, and stress. We must help our children focus on things that lift them up, not drag them down. We must help our kids focus on good. And we must understand that smartphones and tablets, when they're not monitored and limited, they become among the most destructive tools in the mental health of our children and youth. That's period, no ifs, ands, or buts. I mean, if you ignore this reality, you do so to the peril of your kids. Let your kids become addicted to screens because it's the only way for you to get a quiet moment. All you're doing is sacrificing short-term peace for the long-term well-being of your children. It is a destructive shortcut in parenting. If you want to read up on this uh, uh, or listen to this, there's a chapter on mental health in the book called iGen by Jean Twinge. The whole book is, is awesome, but her, her stats on what's happening since kids got glued to smartphones are, are just uh, devastating. 
The bottom line is, the meteoric rise in anxiety, depression, and suicide has come at the same time as the rise of smartphones. What has happened is that as smartphones became popular, as screen time increased, so did uh, teen loneliness with, with depression. Now, this destructive impact is double with girls as it is with guys, but they clearly impact both. For instance, the fear of being left out, FOMO that social media promotes, impacts girls at twice the rate it does for boys. Girls are also twice as likely as boys to experience cyberbullying, which is, it's become a huge issue. And among children and youth today in Canada, 22% of girls in Canada say that they have been cyberbullied and about 10% of boys do. Social media feeds feelings of anxiety, Kids only see success online. So many teens don't realize that their friends fail as well. So many social media profiles they see make many feel like failures. Heck, not getting a reply to your text or social message has a high potential for creating anxiety, which is a precursor to depression. Let me give you some contrasting stats. Students who spend more time on homework than average are actually less likely to be depressed. Homework gets you to focus on something that is good and positive. So parents, just because you hated homework as a kid doesn't mean you have to pass that hate onto them right now, right? Just saying. Time involved in exercise and sports lowers depression, as does spending time in the outdoors like we talked about two weeks ago. You'll remember from two weeks ago, I said that outdoor time is more important than screen time for the holistic development of healthy children. When the writers of the Bible, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, call us to focus on what is good and admirable and excellent, we need to listen. Focus is critical. And so one of the greatest battles that you as a parent are facing as you launch your arrows towards the target is how to train your kids to limit their use of smartphones and tablets as they learn how to use those devices in positive life-giving ways. I'll leave it there because I could rant on and on on this. So don't ruin your kids' lives just because you're lazy about the issue of smartphones and tablets. Well, I guess I didn't leave it there, so I better get to number two quickly or I'll be stuck there. Okay, number two. It's going to sound like a contradiction to what I just said. It comes from our first message on the Arrow series. So number two, we must develop homes that develop safe, loving, till death do us part relationship with our kids. So that means that the whole smartphone tablet issue needs to be approached in a way that maintains relationship. Friends, you can maintain relationship without caving on a whole pile of issues. If every day you approach what you're doing in your home with a passion to develop strong, lifelong relationships with your kids, it shapes how you approach this. You will need to say no to a whole lot of issues, right? Kids will always test you and will do so until they leave the home. So discipline needs to be consistent and loving. This, friends, is not, it is not an impossible, it is not an impossible task. Kids need you to say no. This is part of how they gain security and mental stability. They need boundaries. Uh, but you need to do all of this with a high level of relational sensitivity. The problem isn't the boundary and the rules. Uh, the problem 
Well, our kids just need them to thrive, and the problem is how we enforce them. So you set up boundaries and do life with your kids, always prioritizing safe, healthy relationships. Oh, and one other significant thing I want to say about the, relation, the relational environment in your home is fight for your marriage. For your kids' sake, fight for your marriage. Now, I don't mean to heap guilt on anyone who is separated or divorced right now. This is just a reality. But I will say, if you are in a struggling marriage or relationship, the studies are clear. If you stay together, the mental stability and happiness of your kids will be far, far stronger. And I think that's why God had such strong words when it comes to divorce. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. And it's not just the wife who experiences cruelty in a divorce. The kids experience it overwhelmingly. And while Malachi here is talking of men divorcing their wives, that's because only men could initiate divorce when he wrote. But today it goes both ways. And never say, oh, the kids will get over it. Or maybe now that the kids are older, they'll handle it better. The research is incredibly clear. Divorce hurts kids for the rest of their lives. They suffer disproportionately more with anxiety and depression and antisocial behavior. Divorce sets kids up to do more poorly at school, to struggle more in their jobs and their careers as adults. I think of my neighbors in Thunder Bay before we came here to Fort McMurray, uh, next door to us when the parents of two college-aged boys got divorced. Uh, the downward uh, spiral uh, of both boys that they went on as college-aged guys was just tragic, and, and they crashed big time. So when I say we must create homes that develop safe, loving, till death do us part relationship with kids, the we means both parents together. If you can, and sometimes I get it, you can't. I get that. But if you can, do all that you can to fight for your marriage. And if you need help with that, contact us here at Fort City and we'll get you connected to some good help. Okay, number three. If you're going to raise emotionally healthy kids, as our kids get older, we must stop sheltering our kids and expose them to challenge, risk, and failure. This is a huge issue, and I spoke to it a bit in my message on raising outdoor kids in an inside world. I mean, check it out if you haven't seen it. I, I only mention hunting very little bit, so for the non-hunters, it's really not that bad. But anyways, when we overprotect and hover, it just creates kids who grow into adults who are vulnerable, anxious, and unable to solve problems on their own. And friends, this is a huge issue for how so many of us parent today. Two weeks ago, in that message on raising outdoor kids in an inside world, I, I talked about the Old Testament character of Benaiah that we read about in 2 Samuel. Benaiah chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day, and he lived to tell the story. He killed that lion. That act of faith and courage totally changed the direction of his life and led him to a, a life beyond his wildest dreams. He eventually became the commander-in-chief of Israel's army and the second-in-command to the king. He lived to make a huge difference for God's purposes in his time. How was he raised to be able to do that? You have to be raised in a certain kind of home that raises a kid so that rather than being afraid of lions, chases after them and prevails. As our kids get older, 
as they move into their teen years, we have to kind of change or tweak the messages that we're sending them. I grabbed this from Tim Elmore, a guy who writes a lot on leadership and has a few parenting books out there as well. But here's a chart that I think is helpful, uh, just childhood messages that we morph into adult messages. We tell our children, you are loved, and we keep telling them that all of their lives. But we've got to morph that a little bit as they get older to include life is difficult. You are unique, but we need to let them know eventually you are not in control. You have gifts, and we make a big deal of gifts, but you know what? You're really not all that important in the scheme of the whole world. You are safe. We talk about safety. We want to create an atmosphere of safety, but our kids, we got to tell them, you're going to die sometime. You are not indestructible. You are valuable. But at the same time, you got to be able to say, hey, life is not all about you. I get that sounds harsh. So it's not that we don't continue to communicate the messages in the first column, but we must teach our teens the second uh, we must, and for the most part in today's culture, we don't. Right now, our cultures, some of our schools where you get an award for just turning up, fails to prepare our kids for life that awaits them as adults. Will our kids be emotionally ready to enter adult life? That's really up to us. You go to work in the oil sands, and if you're not adequately prepared because this ain't high school anymore and mom ain't hovering anymore, you'll just get eaten up. The oil sands as a workplace is not always a place of fairness and justice. We have a men's breakfast on Saturday mornings at 8 a.m., and we've just shifted it to doing it at the Best Western Taganova. It's an awesome hangout time. In fact, we'd love to have any of the guys here join us at 8 Saturday at Taganova. And who says that only women talk a lot? Anyways, from a time to time like yesterday, I heard a bunch of stories where the only conclusion is you got to have a lot of grit to work in some places around here or you'll just get chewed up and spit out, right? The point is we have to adequately prepare our kids if we ever expect our kids to be functional adults who, who so trust God that they have no fear about joining with God and making this world a better place. You need some Holy Spirit grit to do that. And yeah, our kids need to hear the word practice. Our kids need to hear the word no. Our kids need to hear the word wait. And our kids need to hear the word serve. I remember a headline a while back. Massachusetts principal calls off honors night because it would be devastating to students who missed the mark. No. What he's doing is devastating in building kids who learn how to bust through adversity and, and eventually achieve. We must get our kids involved in activities that are full of challenges and difficulties. This is where outdoor adventure and sports is awesome. We must let our kids fail and learn from failure. We must let our kids experience fear so that they can push through and succeed. Well, you can probably see I get kind of worked up on these issues of parenting, and there's so much more that I could speak about, tons more. The Bible speaks to a lot more issues for parenting, but our time is limited. So let me quickly just move to one last thought, maybe the most important thought that will lead us into communion. Number four, 
we will seek God first as a family in partnership with his church to lead our children into a deep, loving relationship with God. A relationship with God where they will experience the life-transforming power of God and, and, and hear his voice day by day, a, an, an experiential relationship where they feel the presence of God and hear from God. Old Testament Joshua made a clear decision on how he would raise his family. Listen to these strong words of his. But if the serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua led his people to the land promised to the Jews. It was not an easy journey. Not everyone saw God's hand in this journey or appreciated God's hand in the journey. Many of them just saw pain and calamity, and they wondered if there maybe were other gods out there that were more powerful. Despite the miracles that they'd seen, food, guidance, healing, they, they just weren't sure about this God of Abraham. So Joshua called for a decision. You've got to make a decision for God or not. You've got to make a decision that your home will seek God first or not. Not much different than today. If in the midst of the mess that's all around us, in the midst of the growing mental health crisis and family disintegration, every family must choose for themselves. I've been reading the book of Proverbs in my personal daily time with God over the last few weeks. And these words really grabbed me. My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. That's the whole body, including your mental health. Friends, our, our homes need to be places that make much about Jesus and his word whenever possible. This is where we'll find life and healing and mental stability for our lives. So in our homes, we talk about Jesus. We read the Bible together. We, we pray together. And all of us, kids included, listen to hear God speak. And we talk to one another about how we're actually experiencing God, where we see God at work in our lives and in our world. This will bring life and healing to our children. When a sample of young adults was surveyed who dropped out of church uh, um, and just put faith on the shelf. Uh, when they were surveyed about what happened, one thing dominated in their response. They had never really experienced God for themselves. Their families tended not to pray together or see answers to prayer. Uh, they experienced maybe a bit of emotion at church or camp, but maybe not God. So we're going to talk about the uh, power of experiencing God through prayer next week. But hey, we need to invite our kids to not just know about God, but to experience God as a part of daily living. Our, our kids need a tangible sense that God is with them. And as we do that in the home, we make church, kid city, and youth group a priority. We invite other believing adults to be a positive influence on our kids' lives. Heck, who wouldn't want Matt, Steph, Dulcie, and their team influencing their kids? They are so awesome. Other adults who a teen can safely go to when they aren't sure that they just want to tell mom and dad about it yet. That's a powerful gift that our church gives to a family. I call them paraparents who support parents and their spiritual leadership in the home. And when you are spiritually grounded, when you know that Jesus loves you just as you are no matter what, 
when you experience the love of Jesus personally, talk about creating an environment of safety and security and well-being. There is no more powerful tool in the parental tool bit than the tool of faith leading a, fa leading a child into a, a personal life-giving relationship with Jesus, where they experience Jesus, where they're led by Jesus, where they're given strength to, restore, to stand up to the storms of life by Jesus. And this tool includes being a family that actively participates in the life of a local church. This brings a lot of stability. Again, so much more that I could say, but with all that I've just said as a background now, let me shift our focus to the center of our faith, the, the crazy thing that our God did for us by sending Jesus to die on the cross for us. And hey, our Father God has a little bit of grit sending his only son Jesus to go through what he went through. Ponder that as a parent. And what happened when Jesus died on the cross? The writer of the letter of Hebrews says this, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Friends, you know this. On the cross, our forgiveness was purchased. Because of the cross, sinful, messed up people and our kids can enter into eternal, life-transforming relationship with our Creator God. I mean, that's what our faith is all about. Up front here, you see a, a, a cup filled with juice as well as bread. The bread represents the body of Jesus that was nailed to a tree, and the cup represents the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for us. This is our faith, that our God so loved us that he became the ultimate and forever sacrifice for sin in our place so that our relationship with God could be restored forever. Today, as we remember the death of Jesus and give thanks by participating in communion, let's also pray for our children, or if you don't have children, pray for the children of this church family, that they would come to know Jesus and experience the forgiveness of sins and the power of the Spirit to live well and to overcome that drive towards sin and hope how we look forward to when our kids publicly confess their personal faith in Jesus through baptism and then join us in this celebration of communion. In a moment, we're going to invite those of you who believe to come forward. Coming forward is a public declaration that you are a committed follower of Jesus and maybe you're just open to faith and you feel a nudge that you want to participate. Please do. You Come forward and you take a communion package that's up there and bring it back to your seat or you can stay up front if you want. And uh, as you come forward, would you also just thank Jesus for the cross and maybe pray that your kids would know this Jesus of the cross. Um, when you pick up your element, you can go back to your seat or stay up front if you want and have a private time of thanksgiving, prayer and worship. And on your own, you will open the first layer and eat the bread as you give thanks to Jesus for dying on the cross. Then peel the next layer open and um, drink the juice, giving thanks that our God has forgiven your sin through, through the power of the Holy Spirit to help you overcome sin and live well. Also, our, our prayer team will be uh, up front at, uh, and they'll be there at the end of the service. The reason that we can pray with such confidence is because of what Jesus did on the cross. He purchased our wholeness on the cross. 
We won't fully experience that wholeness until eternity, but we can ask God to take the finished work of Jesus and apply it to our lives today through prayer. So do come and ask for prayer, whatever might be on your heart. And let me pray, and as I first pray, really I invite you to join me and make this your own personal prayer, and then I'll further pray with you. But pray this with me. Father God, thank you that you have so loved me, that you sent your son Jesus to, to die and take my penalty for sin so that I can have a life-transforming forever relationship with you. So yeah, just, just pray yourself. Thank God for the love of Jesus displayed on the cross for you. And if you have kids, I pray for my kids and for all of us. And I pray for the kids and the youth of this church, that they would come to know you personally and deeply, that they would see your power at work in their lives and become worshipers of you even at this communion table. Kids who grow into adults who are on fire for you and your mission in this world, who love and live like Jesus. I pray this morning for anyone who needs a touch from you, for healing, for mental stability, for, for release from depression and anything we find ourselves in bondage to. God, would you move and bring healing. Thank you that you purchased our wholeness on the cross. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.